Welcome back to your political playlist. I'm your host, Emily Tish Sussman. With a new presidential administration and new Congress, there's a significant amount of work to do cleaning up the mess Trump left behind and enacting new policies. Some ideas are new and some were the policies debated throughout the 2020 presidential race that we discussed in season one. No matter where these policies originated, we are going to continue to be your trusted source as the ideas move forward. Every week, I'll be offering up bite-sized policy conversations from women who are leading the charge, either as elected officials, advocates, or policymakers. As always, all of our guests will be women. Today, I'll be talking with Sabrina Siddiqui, a national politics reporter who was just named to the team covering the Biden White House for the Wall Street Journal. She's also a political analyst on CNN. Sabrina was inside the Capitol on January 6th and has been covering the situation in D.C. since then, including Trump's second impeachment. Welcome, Sabrina. We did it. We made it. Hi, how are you? (laughs) Hey, Sabrina, thank you so much for joining us. No problem, thanks for having me. We're excited to be launching the new version of the podcast, your political playlist with you. We haven't had journalists on before. So we're really excited. Oh, wow. So I'm yeah. the first. You're the first. So that you can actually see me and it's not just my face. All right. Although <laughs> you have a pretty fabulous bookcase. That is an impressive setup. I think maybe oh. you've been on camera from home before. Thank you. Well, <laughs> I was a big advocate of color-coded bookshelves. Um, my husband hates it. <laughs> he thinks it, because it's nonsensical, you know, like that to find books by color, but it's aesthetically pleasing. So the more people compliment it, the more I am uh, vindicated in my choice. Oh, absolutely. Please take home for him that it's now been on a national podcast, how incredible <laughs> your bookshelf is. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining us. You know, we have quick policy conversations, quick hits, so we'll, we'll get right into it. You've recently been named national political reporter for the Wall Street Journal, covering the Biden administration. Congratulations. Thank you so much. But you've been a reporter in Washington for a while. So I'm just wondering what your experience has been. You know, how is it going to change? Like, what is the relationship between subjects you've covered before, whether it's Congress or the Trump administration um, versus the Biden administration, what you've been dealing with them so far? Well, I think that it's going to be incredibly different from the Trump administration simply because there had never been a president who operated like Donald Trump did. And so we're not going to be waking up to 5 a.m. tweets. And it's unlikely that people will be abruptly fired at 6 p.m. or 9 p.m. or, you know, the kind of... Um, I do know that so well. The kind of chaos that we got used to uh, and that many people, you know, I know who are, are read our work or watch our work, depending on the format, we're exhausted by because every, every hour it seemed like there was some new headline or new breaking news event. So I think this is much more of a return to regular order in some ways. And uh, I, I think it'll be a lot like the... Obama administration in part because there are a lot of Obama administration veterans who, are, uh, who have a lot of experience in Washington. They're, they're well known. They know they already have relationships on Capitol Hill. They already know a lot of the key players. And so you're seeing them back in positions of power. But, but also, I just think that, you know, this is, this is going to be much more of a conventional leadership style. And for us in the media, uh, you know, there's, there's some people are 
might say, oh, well, you know, it seems kind of boring, but you know, that's actually how it's supposed to be boring, right? <laughs> the business of the government is not supposed to be like this big spectacle. And so I think if things will be a lot calmer, even as they are dealing with any, any number of crises from the pandemic to the recession. Can you pull back the curtain for us a little bit on what it actually means to be a White House reporter? Like, how do you put your stories together? I think particularly in a pandemic, you can't like run around after someone. I don't know. Is that real? Is that what you did before? I'm not sure. Well, there was a lot more travel before, right? So I just got uh, done covering the campaign. And four years ago in 2016, uh, I was, you know, in a different state almost every day, sometimes multiple states in the same day. You're out in the campaign trail. You're at these large scale rallies. You're talking directly to voters. Um, obviously, you know, that's specific to an election year. But even if you think about the pace of the White House, you're usually there in person every day, um, you know, trying to establish relationship, relationships with the people in the administration, get FaceTime. Of course, there's the daily press briefings that the Biden team has said they will restore because they weren't happening as frequently under the Trump administration. Um, and then, you know, Capitol Hill, you still had reporters who go there and who are interviewing lawmakers, but it's been different in the pandemic. There's just a lot more constraints because you can't have as many people there as you know there's there's capacity limits and social distancing guidelines so like i think even with the, the press briefings it's been operating on a rotation where you're, you're not you're not actually able to be at every briefing so you just i think you're all you're always in front of the tv um the benefit of technology is there's nothing we can't access from our phones and so you can still watch the live stream and you're watching, you're trying to file in real time, you're trying to get quotes down, key quotes, and, and just put together a story if there isn't a top line or a new line. Um, and so the good thing is you can do that from anywhere, even if you're not there in person. And I think that's been key in the pandemic. And it's also just been key to, I mean, you're usually making calls as a reporter, but during the pandemic, you're, you're making a lot more calls because you're spending all of your time on the phone, really. Since you can't go see people, you're just like catching up with people and constantly calling per one person after the other to try and get a sense of what's happening behind the scenes and then just also what people think about the current climate and whatever might be happening that day or that week. I feel like the way you're describing your job as a reporter is how I envision like my mom, like sitting at home, just like calling through, like catching up with everybody. Yeah. I'm sure it's much, much more interesting conversations. Uh, sometimes uh, it isn't, sometimes it isn't. I mean, because you're also actually wanting to talk to, you know, you have to, yeah, it's not just like all work, right? In order to actually develop relationships with people that you're going to be working with in a professional capacity, and even if they're, they are sources, everyone at the end of the day is a human being and we're all doing our jobs. But, you know, you have to, in order to build trust, you have to get to know each other. And so, you know, I was talking about it with someone I, I deal with about how I was watching The Sopranos during the pandemic. And then that person got really excited and was like, oh, it's one of my favorite shows. And so rather than talking about whatever Joe Biden was uh, outlining that day, we probably talked about The Sopranos for like 10 minutes. And then we talked about whatever it was that Joe Biden was doing that day. Um, so yeah, maybe it does sound like a, like your mom's phone calls. <laughs> Do you think that some of the norms that the Biden campaign adopted, like because of the pandemic, of kind of um, limiting the access to Biden a little bit, whether it's fewer people in the room or fewer remarks, um, do you think that will maintain? Like, do you think they were utilizing that kind of as an excuse to maintain him a little bit and access to the press? Like, mm. do you think we'll see more more of him with access to the press, or do you think that I don't know? What do you think about it? Well, I think it's twofold, right? Um, the pandemic meant that 
there had to be social distancing guidelines in place and there was, you just could not operate a normal campaign. And this, we all are aware that tomorrow when he is sworn in, President-elect Biden will be the oldest uh, president in uh, U.S. history at the time of his inauguration. And so, you know, because of the risk that the pandemic posed, which was sort of the unspoken aspect to how just how cautious his campaign was about who was around him and how many people were around him, it made sense to not have like the number of reporters you would normally have in the room um, and to do more of a limited kind of pool rotation where we take turns covering him, or like ter take terms, uh, turns being there in person, I should say. But but yes, there's also the, the, the other piece that we know, which is, you know, President-elect Joe Biden is someone who likes to talk and he, if he wants to talk, he's going to talk. It doesn't matter if there are aides telling him like, okay, sir, we're done. Okay, thank you everyone, we're done. He will keep talking and he might say something that he, they don't want him to say. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that, but I, I don't know. I mean, gaffes have always been part of who he is. And so, yes, yeah, so they might try to limit some of the amount of um, interviews or, or events that they do, but, but it's not that you're not still going to be seeing him on TV and, and no matter where he is, if he's giving a speech, you never know what he's going to say. So, and because, like I said, everyone is always watching and we're in a, an environment now where you, you still, you might not be there in person, but you can still watch on TV. So, you know, if he says something, if there's a Biden, classic Biden gaffe, reporters will see it, whether they're there in person or not. Um, but, but I do think that it's just the, it's, the pandemic has just imposed a lot of restraints on reporters and really fundamentally changed the way we're doing our jobs. But again, uh, you know, it won't be like Trump where he will just, because it, I think with Trump, it was, with Biden, he genuinely likes to talk. And he, with, with Trump, it's more that he knew he was soaking up all the attention, right? He wanted mm. to create the, he wanted to create the headlines. You know, it was all about this show, this kind of reality show where he was at the center of it. That's not really what you're going to see from Joe Biden. And what has it like been covering the Hill through all of this, like Capitol Hill and Congress? I mean, obviously, it's so hard to have this conversation about covering Congress without talking about January 6th um, and the riots there and the fact that there were reporters in the Capitol covering all of it. You wrote a post about it on Instagram, um, which I really... Um, really impacted me just to try understanding your experience. So can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. You know, the, that was a very difficult day for people across the country, of course. And then people who are very, who live in DC to be sure, because it's, it's where you live, but also uh, people who are very invested in politics, policy, and just Washington. Um, I, I think it's, it's a lot of, uh, pent up feelings that are, are just feelings that have been festering a lot of experiences that sort of seem to culminate into the violence that we saw unfold. And, you know, journalists, like everyone have a really tough job. And there's a lot that journalists have had to cover in the last four years that, ha that has been really difficult because of the adversarial relationship between the Trump administration and, and the press. And, you know, there's, there was a lot of name calling and, and singling out reporters, um, you know, attacking reporters by name and exposing them to, to potential risk. And then that there's a subject matter, right? I mean, everything from family separations uh, at the border, parents and children being separated, the U.S.-Mexico border to, um, 
you know, the reckoning around Me Too and sexual assault and how that also, of course, in turn, um, as it would, exposed a lot of abusers in Washington, you know, the travel ban on Muslim-majority countries, another form of family separation, some might say, certainly immigration advocates say, you're dealing, and then, you know, any number of mass shootings, you were just dealing with a lot. And then there's Charlottesville, and then there's a lot, and then there's the racial justice protests around George Floyd. And it's it's hard to separate all of, all of that uh, from then this insurrection at the Capitol, which, I, which uh, was absolutely a consequence of the climate that had been fostered over the last four to six years. I'm going to say six if you include the campaign. And so, you know, your friends are there, they're reporting, they're putting their lives on the line to bring you the news. Of course, we all have, like I said, relationships with people we work with in Washington, people who are members of Congress and their staff, people you also know are in that building. And you don't know what the end result is going to be. And so, I, yeah, I think it, it's sort of like, in some ways, this, this administration was always going to end this way. I don't. I think, but but for a lot of people, it's 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 a culmination of of the last four years. And so, you know, one thing I posted about that you're alluding to is also it's a tough time for journalists of color and people who belong to other minorities as well, because um, there have been, of course, disagreements about how to cover events, and and the the, the racial justice movement also exposed the lack of diversity in, in every industry, and and in, that included newsrooms because newsrooms fundamentally shape how people see events right so so i think especially where you had a president who made central to his uh, his identity appealing to the grievances of white voters of course journalists of color and other minorities had a different take on on some of the rhetoric and the policy and so that also i think is something that we we have lived with and we have had our discussions about no matter where we work um and, and that's something that has separated our experience in some ways uh, and, and from that from that of our colleagues. And that also, I think, was was very much uh, at the heart of the riots at the Capitol, because some uh, one of the lasting images was someone flying a Confederate flag. So, so what that means to especially journalists of color, it, 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 it's an entirely I think it's just an entirely different experience. Um, I want to remind everyone who's on with us, they can ask questions, make comments live, who's here in the conversation. Um, we have someone who's asked a question already. Are you going to continue to report on Biden or are you being moved? You are remarkable. Oh, thank you. <laughs> My mom? <laughs> wow, what are you doing here? No, um, yes, I'm continuing to report on Biden. We've got a great team of White House reporters at the Wall Street Journal. Uh, there are seven of us. And I think, you know, it's going to be busy. I, you know, the one in I was saying it was not going to be as chaotic, but we have a pandemic that's killing roughly 4,000 Americans a day, a death toll that has surpassed 400,000. And uh, I, I think, and of course, then there's the economic re recession that it triggered. And so there's going to be a lot in front of the incoming administration. And that's to say nothing of what we were just talking about, the racial justice protests last year and, you know, the very urgent need for uh, reform of the justice system and other racial inequities across the country. So I think it's going to be a really fascinating time to cover an incoming administration. Someone actually uh, I spoke to who from the Obama-Biden world actually likened it in some ways to President Obama in 2009 coming in at a time when 
the nation was, he had to, you know, recover the country from an economic collapse. And there was no pandemic, but the country was in the midst of two wars, but the Iraq war especially, incredibly unpopular by the time Obama came in office. And so, and then the, 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 the climate at that time too was also very polarized. So I think that it's an interesting, and it's, I mean, it's, it's very different because the pandemic yeah. and the, and the, what we've seen from the, the riots, which is not, you know, the, the rise of nationalists, that's not just going to go away overnight because there's a new president. Um, but it, it was an interesting, I think, parallel um, or analogy that, that someone drew to say, this is probably, but to still say that Biden faces the most challenges of any incoming president in recent memory. For sure. I, I do think there's some parallels to when Obama took office, but I, I, I'd worked on, um, in advocacy, I'd worked on the Obama campaign and in legislation at the beginning of the administration. And the thing that I think feels different about then versus now is that First of all, the legislation that Obama took up at the beginning of his administration was totally different. Um, but also there was this sense that Obama should be, he was prioritizing and that he should be playing to moderate Republicans. Mm -hmm. That I think doesn't really, that, that same um, analysis isn't there right now. And I'm not sure actually why it feels so different. I think it's maybe some of it has to do with the fact that Republicans did basically institutionally just support an insurrection at the Capitol, which I think might have had something to do with it. But so, yeah, I mean, I, I see some of it. Um, we did have another question here. Will you be in the White House on press conferences? Oh, I, 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 I will be there. Uh, so one thing we were talking about um, was how COVID has changed everything. And so that means that you can't have a briefing room packed with like, 50 reporters <laughs> because that's a super spreader event whether you've been tested or not um so they've been you know we've had a much more scaled back presence this is not when i say we i don't mean the journal i just mean the white house correspondence association where it's a, a lower capacity because they have to keep like a few seats open between reporters so that we're distanced so yeah, that room's you know, pretty tiny like i don't think people it's a, realize it's a small it's, a, it's not that big i mean it, it might, i don't know what i'm like you know it's not the biggest room it's you know it's just so i think you know we're what that means is there's a rotation and we're there like every third briefing um and then of course i'm sharing this with with my other colleagues who cover the white house and so i you know we're all going to split the briefings as well but i'll be there and we'll be asking questions and you know hopefully asking good and tough questions and um i think you'll look very the briefings are going to look very different uh you know they're I, like we said this is this is a, this is just objectively true that there was a very adversarial relationship um that the trump administration had with the press because it was key to their strategy to um essentially demonize the media for and you know fake dismiss anything they didn't like as fake news and everyone saw that dynamic play out at the briefings and then, yeah so yeah. so what do you think about the fact that sean spicer who was the first white house press secretary press secretary is actually trying to get press credentials to be part of the white house press corps now like what do you think about that i don't even know honestly what to say because it's it's like 
so much has happened over the last four years that it's, it's sort of like, of course, Sean Spicer is trying to get press credentials. Right. Like he finished dancing with the stars. So now, like, of course, he wants press yeah. credentials. I mean, usually it's the other way around. Like, usually <laughs> reporters go into politics. Like, reporters are like, well, I want to go into comms, you know? Like, Jay Carney, Obama's White House <clears throat> press secretary was a former journalist like you usually it's the is in the, the, it goes in the other direction um because it's hard to i don't think anyone would believe that sean spicer is a neutral and objective reporter um right. or that he doesn't have an agenda i i i don't i don't know what if we're gonna end up seeing him in the briefing room i'm i'm hard pressed to think that we will but you know, stranger things have happened in the last four years. <laughs> well, that actually leads me to a great question that we had gotten um, previous to this. We had asked people on our Instagram account for questions to ask you. So they started the question by saying that you are um, that you are an in influence, not the right. I wish I had it written in front of me now. You are um, an inspiration was the word. You oh. are an inspiration to the next generation of Desi kids. Oh, that was in the comment. And then the next, the question that was a part of it was, how do you keep your own opinion out of your reporting? Thanks for that on um, both counts. Good question. And for the kind words and for the uninitiated, uh, Desi is basically someone of South Asian descent. And my parents are from Pakistan. My dad was born in India, but you know, my most, my family is primarily from Pakistan. And, you know, I would say that, the, 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 this actually, I'd, I'd love to bring it back to something you talked about earlier, which is how the experience of journalists of color and other minorities is different. A big challenge for us has, has been having to make the case that because we have unique experiences based on our backgrounds, that doesn't mean that we're not being objective. Our version of objective is just different from your version of objective. Um, you know, and so you know what we see in journalism as objective, objective truth. That like definition of objectivity has been put in place by majority white newsrooms uh, throughout the history of journalism and media. So, so a lot of the rules around objectivity were created by people who don't necessarily see things through the lens of communities of color across the country. Um, so, so, you know, for me, when I'm reporting, yes, of course, I don't take, I don't uh, offer opinions on policy um, and I don't use adjectives necessarily to describe um, events unless, unless, you know, we've all decided as, you know, unless there's been a decision made by, you know, our, our editorial kind of process to say, okay, we're going to explicitly say that this is racist, right? Like sometimes you've seen that happen, but at the same time, you know, I think a lot what I've done and then is, is use my voice as a South Asian American Muslim woman where I felt it, appropriate and where I feel like I am uniquely positioned to provide more context on an issue or a subject and how differently it might be viewed by the South Asian community or the Muslim community here in the United States and around the world. So, you know, some people some might think that's opinion, but I don't think that's opinion. And that's, that's a lot of what this push for more diverse newsrooms is about, because I, I think that in general notions of objectivity um, are, like I said, not really, they don't really mirror the experience of a majority of people across this country. 
Well, unfortunately, we have to leave it at that. But hopefully, Sabrina, you'll come join us again. This is a great conversation with Sabrina Siddiqui, national political reporter for Wall Street Journal, also on CNN. I'm Emily Tish sussman host of Your Political Playlist. And this has been a really interesting conversation about covering the new Biden administration. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Your Political Playlist. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Your Political Playlist, where you can see video of the interviews and join us live to ask questions during future ones. I also did a video on there this week about understanding the executive orders that President Biden signed on day one. For more from Sabrina Siddiqui, follow her on Twitter at Sabrina Siddiqui. Join us every week for smart but bite-sized policy conversations with women at the seat of power and activism. Subscribe if you like us, leave us a rating and comment to let others know. Talk to you next time.